0: Gen Z is making memes about all this stuff, and everyone mm-hmm. is extra fucked up because of it. Like, no, we've been doing this for years before there was even internet. Hello. Well, hello, friends. <laughs> hello! <laughs> I'm, I almost said, We're Christina. <laughs> we are Christina. <laughs> because I forgot to say my name in the last time I introduced us.
1: Oh, well, that's Christina who's talking.
0: And that's Lauren who's talking. I just mean, talked. not now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we do so well at this. Okay, so I'm Christina. You're Lauren. This yep. is Pickles and Vodka, the mental health podcast where imperfect people have imperfect conversations.
1: That it is.
0: And it is Saturday, November 26th, that we're recording. Thanksgiving in the U.S. was two days ago, and I'm still kind of reeling. I don't know about you.
1: (laughs) Not reeling is the wrong word. Like, recovering, I guess. So I didn't really do much for Thanksgiving because I don't drive the 12 and a half hour or 13... I keep making it longer. 11 and a half hours. (laughs) I hear that happens with age.
0: You just keep yes, exaggerating I, the unpleasant things in your life, kind of like romanticizing mental illness. Oh,
1: yeah, I, I, I walked to school in the snow uphill both ways, even in July.
2: <laughs>
1: I would expect nothing less. Right. But anyway, yeah, so I didn't really do much for Thanksgiving. I've already seen family this year and made that drive to Michigan. I don't go back or anything. So I feel like I did okay because I was just done recovering from the mom visit.
0: Yeah, so your mom visited last week. Uh, In fact, I think it was like the day that we recorded our last episode. What, didn't she arrive later? Uh, The day after. The day after. So how the fuck did that go? (laughs) Uh, How are you feeling uh, right now in the moment, first of all? How are you at? Where where are you at?
1: God damn it. uh, (laughs) It it went better than I expected, but that doesn't mean that it was perfect. Well, yeah. (laughs) I did have a friend, like, get together yesterday for people that didn't do anything on Thanksgiving. And my dad and I had been kind of, like, playing phone tag back and forth on Thanksgiving Day. So I said, like, oh, I'll I'll call you on the drive home. So I immediately have already gotten guilt-tripped for the fact that I'm not coming back for Christmas this year. (laughs) So that was fun.
0: Yeah, it's like if you're there, then it's chaotic. And if you're not there, it's also... Then, yes, they make it chaotic. (laughs) Yeah, there's just no way to win.
1: I I told them, like I said, I I only do that drive once a year. And for people that have not experienced it, Michigan's generally not that fun to drive in in December. No, if it's (laughs) anything like Illinois. It's like Illinois with more snow, usually.
0: Oh, that sounds terrible.
1: So I went back this year in July, August, so that I could actually enjoy my time there. And I told them then, I said, this is my one time. This means I'm not coming home for Christmas this year. So it's not like it's a surprise, but suddenly they're like, are you really not coming back for Christmas? (laughs) No.
0: (laughs) Yeah, when I was living on the other side of the country from my family, that was the one quote unquote positive was that I only Mm -hmm. had to go back one time a year and no one expected me to be there more than Mm -hmm. once a year. But then, of course, the downside was that I was far away from my family (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Are you feeling just like emotionally exhausted having dealt with your mom and then that drive?
1: Yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of on the upswing now because it's been a few days. So yeah, I'm, I'm starting to get back to normal.
0: I've just been dying to hear how the visit with your mom went. Because <laughs> um, I know that she helped you decorate your place hmm Which the pictures yeah. I've seen look amazing. I can't wait to see it in person.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, since I'm not going back for Christmas, I think we both agreed that I kind of got uh, Christmas this time because she, I, I know part of it's because she was excited. She wanted to buy me a lot of shit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what are parents for?
1: Exactly. <laughs> I feel like we had enough to do that uh, up until, like, the last day, and then, you know, like, I was going to bed, and I was like, yeah, you can go home now. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> but you know we kept busy I mean I will give you a picture to post somewhere we put together this huge desk in one night oh hell yeah very pressed with I have tons of room right now to set up my microphone and yes. my laptop and yeah I'm enjoying this for the first time oh well it's the first time <laughs> I mean, I'm enjoying the desk for the first time, not I'm enjoying podcasting for the first How time. How many episodes
0: have you been co-hosting now? Like yep. 16? i hated
1: the first 12, but now I'm enjoying it. <laughs> we have reached our peak now. Yes. Welcome. Yeah. So where are you at since you've... Yeah, just dealt with everything.
0: I, I mean, this is my second Thanksgiving in recovery. So mm-hmm. second Thanksgiving in since probably 2017, not binging yes. and purging and all that stuff. Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, it went pretty well. I had two Thanksgiving dinners to go to. I had uh, Brett's family and then I had my family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I kind of have emotional whiplash from it because when I was with Brett's family, you know, they're so different from my family. They're kind of quieter And they're definitely smaller than my family, you know, in terms of the amount of people. And so Mm -hmm. I felt kind of like, like a normie (laughs) when I was there. I was just like, you know, hanging back with the adults and having small talk and, you know, not having any weird food issues. And I was just like, this feels really weird. Well,
1: that's something I was wondering in particular, because I know you are pretty open, you know, about everything with your family. So I was just wondering, like, did you get the feeling when you are going through it in recovery? Like, is everybody watching to be like, oh, She's yeah. okay, right? Yeah, it's
0: funny, because like, <laughs> back when I used to binge and purge in secret at family mm-hmm. gatherings, I was really good at it. I was really good at sneaking away and mm-hmm. doing it without anyone noticing. But now I feel like now that I have a grip on that, I'll go to the bathroom and I'll like cough a lot or something in there. And then I'll be like, Oh shit, it sounds like I'm binging and purging, but I promise I'm not like, I feel like I'm more, it looks like I am more often now that I'm not.
1: Like like, Now that I'm just acting normally instead of sneaking around, it seems like I might be.
0: And that, that'll take time to reestablish that trust. You know, it's, it's hard for me to trust myself sometimes. So I can't even imagine, you know, my family. Uh, But Anyway, so that was Brett's Thanksgiving dinner. My family's was interesting. <laughs> it was like the opposite experience because I went and everything was chaotic and loud. And mm-hmm. um, I, I always feel like I kind of revert back into that old way of thinking sometimes. Yeah. Um, when I'm at my parents through no yes. fault of their own. it's I, I mean, feel that a lot. We've, we've talked about <laughs> this before. It's natural. When you're in that kind of environment with all those memories attached, you, you know, sometimes you revert.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and while, I, you know, I didn't engage in any behaviors this year, I definitely triggered myself a lot <laughs> over the course <laughs> oh. of like, what, I think I was over there for 12 hours yesterday. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's just kind of, uh, I don't know. I'm kind of having a tiff with my mom right now about something. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if I want to talk about it on the podcast yet. But she does listen. (laughs) She does. Well, she might not anymore. Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. uh, I can. I mean, I can just get into it. She just. She got a little offended over some of the stuff I talked about on the trauma episode with my past. Mm, Okay. And this has happened before. Um, I will say something that happened to me in relation to my Mm -hmm. family or my religious upbringing, and she gets offended because she she takes it so personally. She thinks like I am attacking her.
1: Where that's not my attention at all. Like, I can tell you're not when you're talking about it, but I... Yeah, someone closer to
2: it, I could understand. Yeah, and
0: yeah. and so we had this whole talk, like, I don't want to censor myself, and then she's like, well, maybe I'll stop listening, and then I was like, okay, you don't have to listen, you know, like, <laughs> and, and then, you know, yesterday, there were a lot of religious comments and pass it, and I was thinking, like, you don't have to listen to my podcast, but I'm not over here bringing all of my lifestyle choices to your family dinner, you know, like, I'm not mm. pushing my stuff in your face, I'm not talking about my political views, I barely talk about my political views on this podcast, because... I'm so worried about
1: offending my family. <laughs> yeah, that was something you just reminded me. That was probably actually the toughest part about my mom's visit is, yes, my, my family has always been religious. You know, I was, I got sent to Catholic school till I was in fifth grade. You know, we always... I got in trouble if I stayed overnight at a friend... I usually couldn't stay overnight at a friend's house on a Saturday because my mom didn't believe that I'd get to church. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That
0: was a big thing. You had to be out in time for church.
1: And yes, and if I said that I... You know, if it was, like, a family that, like, was in our church and I said I was going to, but they weren't as strict about it and my mom found out I didn't go, then I would really be in trouble. Oh, yeah. But, But still, she didn't, like stuff it in my face so much and i don't know if it's because we've had conversations where i've said you know like i would never consider myself catholic i you know like have kind of like i don't not believe in god but i you know, i thought that'd make her feel better but i was yeah. like i do have kind of like a more loose interpretation and things like that so i i don't know if it's her response to that but i just feel yeah like I felt like every single thing, you know, like if something went right, she had to be like, that's God looking out for us. Oh my you know, God. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On Thanksgiving
0: <laughs> day, my family sent out a group text. My sister mm-hmm. lost her keys and my parents like walked around looking for it and then they found it and they sent a text like, glory be to God. We found it. And, yeah. <laughs> and I, I was with Brett's family at the time when I got that and I was just <laughs> not feeling it. And I just responded like sky daddy for the win. <laughs> and my mom liked it. In short, nothing really traumatic or terrible happened, and I'm grateful for that. But Mm -hmm. also, I'm just really exhausted emotionally, and um, I'm tired of going over there and just getting all this stuff pushed in my face. Yeah, it was
1: nice that when my mom left, uh, apparently Jesus left too, (laughs) because they were both visiting
0: me. (laughs) Oh my god, we call my apartment uh, Christina's House of Sin. (laughs) <laughs> it's like an inside joke from years ago when my parents were staying at my old place that I shared mm-hmm. with a boyfriend at the time I was like well you might not approve of it but you're you're willing to visit Christina's house of sin yes <laughs> but we, we oh. are off
1: on a wild tangent oh but I do have a quick story that's so good
0: that you're actually- <laughs> <laughs> because the, the,
1: the boyfriend that I lived with for several years yeah his parents were possibly more religious than mine they were, uh, I don't know, some like sect of Baptist and Ooh, Baptist, yes, and like they went to church, you know, like multiple times a week and everything. So when we moved in, we always had a two bedroom place. We were in a very cheap city, so we could actually afford that, nice. and it just it was very helpful to have my own space. Like I usually had my desk and my computer in what was considered my room. And I had, you know, like a twin bed that I moved with me because, I mean, we put it in my room at first and, you know, just thinking like a guest can sleep there. We've got an extra bed. But so our third place that we moved into actually had a basement as well. And it was, you know, semi-finished. So since the second room was pretty small. We were just like, what well, makes more sense to put the bed in the basement? And his parents were helping us move in. I, I don't remember exactly what the circumstance was, but you know, like something like the bed was in the, the basement. And I think I know, think like I know where this is going. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not something, sure. got, something got moved up. I just remember them making the comment like, oh, well, you're gonna have to move the bed upstairs anyways. I'm like, Clearly they think that we have separate rooms because we're still sleeping in separate beds. In separate (laughs) rooms. And I was just like, we've been living together for three years. Even my parents aren't that clueless.
0: (laughs) I I think some of it is just wishful thinking. Yeah, I think they just wanted
1: to put their blinders on. What do you think that... Uh, Anyway, I (laughs) yeah, okay. (laughs) Done with that tangent. I just thought that was hilarious. I think (laughs) it's hilarious.
0: Um, Lauren, why don't you intro the pickle poll today? Because you're the one that came up with it. And I think it's one of my favorites yet.
1: Yes. So it is. Do you feel like you have romanticized certain types of mental illness? How does this relate or contrast mental issues that you've dealt with?
0: It's a good one. Um, I (laughs) have a lot of experience with it obviously, but I wanted to hear like what made you choose that question and what your what your own answer to it is.
1: Yeah. So I was actually just like jotting down some notes like 20 minutes before this. Me too. I, yeah. Because I hadn't really thought about it. I felt like I can just come in and talk about this easily. I mean, I do have a lot to say, but oh my God, I was writing this was like, Oof, this is difficult stuff. <laughs> so, so yeah, this, this is going to be a tough one. Um, yeah. My main reason is because I have always felt kind of guilty as an adult as I did deal with different mental illnesses because I always felt like I kind of wanted them. Yeah. And it just, it feels so terrible to think like I wanted to be sick or like knowing people that do not want this so much in their life and are trying so hard to get past it. And I'm thinking like, wow, stupid, like, 10 or 13 year old me is just flaunting that in your face saying, well, I want this. I think it sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. People are going through hell. <laughs> I think before we do this
0: topic, we have to have a disclaimer that like, we are going to be talking a lot about choosing our mental illnesses and all that stuff. We're going to be using the word choose a lot. Cause I feel like the same way that you just described, I feel like mm-hmm. so many people are stuck in this life and they don't want to be here and I'm choosing it quote unquote, yeah. I just want to do the disclaimer because I feel like this relates to imposter syndrome that we talked Mm -hmm, about last mm -hmm. week. Like, (laughs) maybe we wandered into our mental illnesses through our own actions, or maybe at one point we did want it, but that doesn't discredit the fact that it is an illness.
1: I mean, I hope we'll talk about this because there are definitely things that kind of like have opened my eyes much later in life to realize like, oh, I did not choose it. I mean like starting at junior high age, I felt like, wow, you know, like, I really want this. I think this would be great. But you know, when I go back, then I realize, like, oh, you know what, the seeds were planted when I was like four or five. Yeah. And I had no clue. So clearly this was going to happen whether I decided five years later that I wanted it or not. It was already on its way.
0: Yeah. And if not an eating disorder, who knows what else it might have been like, how else it might Mm -hmm. have manifested itself. Yeah. You know, Oh, man, this is I have so much to say about this. We could just start reading the comments. Okay. Okay, so we got two comments on Facebook responding to this question. Do you want to read the first one?
1: Sure, because I see how it starts out, and I love it. Yeah. <laughs> this this is from Olivia, and she says, abso freaking <laughs> But I think that that was a big sign of my own immaturity, or maybe... Naivete is a better word. It was easy to feel as though the chaos of certain disorders or mental illnesses set me apart, when in reality, the boring life of healthy recovery is actually much more unique these days. And our insanely unhealthy tabloids and magazines from like 2004 oh my gosh, you nailed that on the head to 2014 <laughs> were just full of romanticizing mental illness, self injury, eating disorders, and addictions. Looking back on some of those articles is just, and then there's three emojis of like, oh, fuck what the shit.
0: It's the mind blown emojis. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah, the 2004
1: through 2014 was such a toxic era. In particular, maybe like 2004 through 2008, then I was buying some of those magazines. Like I'm not a tabloid type person, but yeah, just to like, Just to get the cover story and to, yeah, like, just, like, salivate over it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: More on that in a second, but I first Mm -hmm. want to talk about the part where she talks about the romanticization of her mental illness was a sign of her own immaturity or naivete. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you think about that? Do you think it is a sign of immaturity, like, just being young and impressionable
1: I agreed with the naivete part, but not immaturity. Okay, yeah. I mean, I feel like it could be not realizing the full scope. That's what I think of as naive. But I don't think that, you know, immaturity I think of as being like childish. and I don't think it's childish.
0: Yeah, children don't see a picture of like a starving person. And they're like, I want that. <laughs> or maybe, <laughs> I don't know what kids are doing these days. Um, but I mean, that's something to talk about is just the age at which people start doing this, like romanticizing Mm -hmm. their mental illness. I mean, like sometimes mental illnesses aren't even diagnosed until years after you start romanticizing this stuff. Right. And I was thinking like, which came first, you know, that kind of adds to the imposter syndrome. Like, am I really mentally ill or am I just like romanticizing this stuff so much and manifesting it into my life so much that like, I'm just copying
1: what I see online. Mm Hmm. And for me, I mean, a lot of the early stuff, there There was no online when I was starting, you know, when I was like 10 or 12.
0: Yeah, I say online. I mean, like, you know, the tabloids, the yeah. magazines, the books, yeah. whatever
1: media you consumed. That's what I was going to say is, you know, like I was finding everything I could in the library and I was already worried. You know, I was like, is the librarian going to think I'm weird for checking out these? <laughs> That's the thing. When I was researching this episode, I found a
0: lot of articles talking about like how this generation is romanticizing mental illness. Like, Gen Z is making memes about all this stuff, and everyone Mm -hmm. is extra fucked up because of it. Like, no, we've been doing this for years, before there was even internet. Like, Right. (laughs) I mean, look at some of the classic literature that has been written. Like, hundreds of years old literature, people are doing the same exact thing.
1: Yeah, I remember that movie that Tracy Gold starred in, like, when she was still in her illness, basically. I don't know who that is. Oh, she was... She wasn't Family Ties. She was one of those sitcoms. I probably haven't seen it. I don't know why they're all coming up.
0: <laughs> but, but she, she was one,
1: Yeah, and she was one of the first people... Pre, people first became aware when, you know, like, Karen Carpenter died. And she was oh. kind of that same thing. You know, like, she was in a time where people weren't really talking about this, but... She like got super sick, and everyone noticed. Like, oh my gosh, you know, like stars—they're just like the rest of
0: us. <laughs> but also, <laughs> we want to be fucked up in the way that the stars fucked up.
1: You know, yeah. That then it was—it was a story kind of like those tabloids, but it was because you know, like we have never heard of this thing. And... I can't
0: even imagine. Like being ten years older, I'm just like, I can't imagine yeah. that. Apparently,
1: uh, there I mean, was, ten like, years a... younger. Yeah, but there there was, whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> there, there, there was a movie that she starred in, um, might have been based on a true story, because it was the story of, like, the girl that developed anorexia, and, like, the main part of it was, I think, that her parents took her to court, basically, to... Get her like, treatment? Force her... Yeah, you know, like, because she was refusing, and they were, yeah, so they yeah. had to get, like, a court order, and that was kind of, like, a big deal, but... I heard that they filmed it in reverse because she was kind of, like, newly in recovery. And so, like, the end scenes where they wanted her to, yeah, look, like, at her worst, that's what they filmed first because she was still pretty, yeah. Oh, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's it's very controversial and questionable. But I remember, what I was going to say is I remember... Um, My parents had a tiny black and white TV in their bedroom. And we only got cable in the main TV downstairs. But you could kind of get like fuzzy channels sometimes. And, you know, like my parents are obviously going to be in control of the TV. And I also didn't want them to know I was watching this. Right. So I, I remember them all, you know, like sitting downstairs, you know, watching whatever, you know, like sitcoms and dramas they watch after dinner and everything. And I was hiding out upstairs watching a Fuzzy, like staticy version of this movie on their little black and white TV.
0: But you know, you chose your eating disorder; that had nothing to do right, with it. Right. Right. <laughs> um. Next comment. Unless oh. you have anything else to say about Olivia's comment, go ahead. Oh wait, no, I remembered something. <laughs> I really like how she mentioned previously feeling like her mental illness set her apart. When in reality, mm-hmm. like the quote unquote boring life of healthy recovery is actually much more unique these days. Yes, um, I, I, love I just that wanted too. to you know point that out because it's it's honestly true. My life is so boring these days, but I've never been happier. Question mark. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I I still feel like I can't say that because something bad will happen if I do. Oh. <laughs> But it's so true. Like, I always thought that I was unique because of my mental illness and that it was my identity. And in some ways, like, yes, that is a huge part of my identity. And it's not going to stop being part of my identity. But I'm also realizing these days that life outside of that also has just as much potential to be glamorous and fun and interesting as life did when I was sick. And that was, like, Mm -hmm. one of my big fears is that life is just going to be boring I mean, when I stopped drinking, I remember thinking my social life was over.
1: Yeah, you've talked about feeling like you weren't as interesting. (laughs) Yeah, and
0: now that I'm three years sober, I'm like, that's ridiculous. But I I still (laughs) feel like if I, let's say I do recover even more am I just not gonna, like, talk about this stuff anymore? Like, will I even have the authority to be able to talk about it if I'm not actively struggling? And, like, what does that mean for the podcast? And will I be able Mm -hmm. to relate to Lauren as much? And, like, (laughs) these are the things that go through my head. And it's so silly because, like, the more I focus on recovery, the more mentally able I am to do the podcast and to do all
1: this stuff. And I will say, for one thing, I've only had conversations with you when you are sober from alcohol and... I definitely don't think that you are uninteresting or anything. Like, I would not be talking to you. If I was just if I'd started talking to you, it was like, well, she's kind of a wet blanket and dull.
0: Well, that's my point. Like, I am yeah. interesting without it, and I am interesting without like a, Not without, a, apart from my mental illness. But it's yeah. just hard to remind myself that sometimes. So I appreciated Olivia saying that in the comment.
1: Not not to like tell this whole story again, because we already did. And we don't need the excuse to give the whole trigger warning before it. <laughs> but the one, the story that I told about thinking that I was the only person, you know, doing a certain sort of self-injury. Oh, and yeah. And once I realized I wasn't, then I was like, I'm not special. I, <laughs> I think that was on the
0: harm reduction episode, maybe. <laughs> Probably. Or yeah. coping mechanism. Coping oh, coping. I think you're the right. The coping <laughs> Oh, the, yes, uh, the coping episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're familiar with our backlog.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right.
0: So the next comment is from Christine, with mm-hmm. a K. Yep.
1: Um,
0: so she says she experienced romanticizing mental illness, possibly in middle school slash high school. I may have romanticized eating disorders. Oh, how I wish I could have been thin and purged. <laughs> oh. I am incapable of force vomiting to this day. I made the mistake of using yeah. ipecac syrup to attempt to alleviate a binge, and all I did was blow up with gas, and it was so fucking painful. <laughs> Been there. Uh, now I wish nothing more than to be free of all my mental health issues. I have a gambit of labels and try to help others through my own life lessons. Wow. Oh, uh, we can both relate to that a lot. Yes. <laughs> um, well, first of all, I have to say that when I met Christine, it was in 2010 in high school we went to the Mm -hmm. same like small christian school together and i didn't really know her that well and i know she's listening so um whatever (laughs) (laughs) i didn't really know you that well christine when i (laughs) met you but i did get the sense that you were struggling i think i even wrote about it in a journal at one point i was just like there's a new girl and i think Uh she struggles with food issues and i want to like talk to her but i'm afraid blah 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 all that stuff yeah yeah um but I got the sense, even back then, not knowing her, that she struggled with some of this stuff. And so mm-hmm. it's it's just crazy to see this comment now. Uh, and, and that's why I love this podcast is it's brought a lot of people back into my life that I, like, just didn't know or have gone yeah. years without talking to. And, like, just... I love that people are telling us their experiences and we can all relate. It's just beautiful. Yes. (laughs) Tangent though. I feel like this is such a thing in eating disorders where you see a behavior someone else does and you wish you could do it and you feel like you are not as sick. Or like if you get that sick, then somehow you'll be deserving of help.
1: Mm -hmm. We've talked about
0: this before, but like, what are your thoughts?
1: Wow. She actually, her comment like just transported me to a scene in my life. Ooh, do tell. I actually, I mean, I would classify classify myself as, however you pronounce it, emetophobic. whatever. I am freaked out at the thought of puking, seeing anybody else do it, anything like that. So not quite the same. But for me, I also felt around that time in, in middle school, high school, when I was engaging in behaviors, that I wasn't good enough at starving basically oh yeah i feel like we've all felt like that anyone who struggled
0: with eating disorders it's like even if you skip eating for two days it's
1: still not enough yeah you're still like i could be better (laughs) (laughs) but but yeah because i didn't feel like i was very good at that then even though i knew you know that i was terrified of it i just really wished that i could force myself to throw up because then i could do something about it because i wasn't doing well enough at starving (sighs) so her yeah so so the picture she painted just reminded me and I mean, I'm sorry, this is another uh, church story, but it's only because I was playing piano for a church. And it really has nothing to do with church itself. I don't it just, apologize to me. apologize to Ginger yeah, Lou. It, it just happened to be a job. But um, yes, I was playing piano for a church and they were very nice because they knew I didn't have like a piano in my apartment to play on. And I had keys to the building and they had a baby grand. And they're like, if you ever want to play, you know, oh you're God. welcome to on the off days. So I was like, oh, that's so sweet and I so, would go to church for that yeah <laughs> and so so I came in you know just like a weekday once and brought some music and was playing and everything but I didn't drive myself you know my my boyfriend the toxic one that I lived with <laughs> that comes into so many stories You should give
0: him a fake name or something because you refer to him
1: so much I know uh Steve all right Steve. <laughs> yes so <laughs> <laughs> you know we were both out so the the idea was he was going to drop me off do what he had to do and pick me up in a couple hours And uh, I don't know why that is important other than just maybe because, yeah, maybe just because he was involved and that makes me feel more like self-conscious and everything. So afterwards, you know, I'm just in this empty church alone and I go to, to go to the bathroom and that's where I just remember feeling like so struck by it and just, yeah, really, really wishing because I was just super screwed up and vulnerable place to begin with. And I remember like kneeling in front of the, the toilet and like knowing that I was kind of doing the motions to try, but also knowing that I was afraid to try enough that I might actually do it. And eventually just sitting there in the stall, kneeling in front of the toilet, crying because I couldn't make myself throw up.
0: Oh man, I remember feeling like that. And then I, you know, I eventually learned how, and that was just the end of everything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> So you just felt like that, that was a response to, to what, your, your, Steve (laughs) picking you up or just the feeling, the body stuff you were dealing with at the time? Yeah.
1: Like, I think all of that was. Especially at that point coming from my life with him, because I've mentioned like he was pretty emotionally abusive. So when someone's telling you that you're not good enough all the time, then you believe it and you're trying to do something about it. And at that point, being good enough, I felt that, you know, I was losing weight.
0: What about using your mental illnesses as like, um, when you romanticize your mental illnesses so much that Mm -hmm. you feel like it'll solve a problem in your life or like your life is so dissatisfactory in other areas that you romanticize your mental illness just to focus on anything else. Yeah, I I feel I felt like that a lot. Like, you know, I will be in that relationship. It's not perfect or whatever. And I'll just think like, this sucks, but I can't really get out of it tomorrow. I might as well lose weight. Mm -hmm. you know, because then maybe I'll be more attractive or more interesting, or at least I'll have something to focus on that's not how miserable I am. Because this, you know, eating disorders are so much interesting (laughs) and glamorous. Exactly. I'll be so
1: special then. Yeah. It's interesting for me, because I hear that a lot from people that they say, you know, like, in the beginning, I really thought it was going to get me all these things. And now I you know, now now I know that it won't. But I mean, I'm it gets you a it. lot
0: of things. <laughs> yes, <laughs> not exactly good things.
1: Yeah, and I feel like in the beginning, you know, yes, I I felt like it would get me quote unquote things, but mine were not things. You know, like I didn't think that it would make me popular. I didn't think it would make people like me. It was, I mean, maybe in the very very early days, but for the most part, I remember a big time of thinking like that'll show them. Yeah, sort of. you know, I felt like. People are going to see the me just like deteriorating, and they will realize what they've done.
0: <laughs> oh my god. Okay, we need to play the next voicemail now, because okay. this ties in perfectly. Um, okay, so we got two voicemails for this question. One of them is from Orion, who has mm-hmm. sent us voicemails before. The other mm-hmm. one is from Heather, who has commented before. She's your friend.
1: No, we, she did have a voicemail. Heather sent a voicemail. Later. Yes.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> she sent another voicemail. But unfortunately, the quality was so bad, I couldn't play it. It was like really feedbacky and had a ton oh. of like, it was weirdly sped up. So oh, Heather, okay. I don't know what you did. I don't know <laughs> if it's your phone. I don't know what you did. I, Heather, what did you do? <laughs> um... So basically, this week, I'm going to try to make a video showing people
1: how to submit voicemails on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I don't actually know. You just tell them and I assume you know how to tell them. Yeah, (laughs) because
0: when people have tried submitting uh, voicemails on Anchor in the past, it's been messed up. So I'm just going to say it now. Like, don't submit voicemails on Anchor. Send them on Instagram. Um, If you don't know how, I'm going to make a video soon. Cool. But yeah, so her voicemail, we won't be playing, but I did transcribe it and we'll be going over her thoughts. Okay. Okay, so first we're going to play Orion's voicemail. Okay, I'm ready.
2: So I think my thoughts on this pull kind of got away from me. Um, when I reread the question, it's talking about certain specific types of uh, mental illnesses that are romanticized, and I think I went a little broader in my thinking on it, so here's just my, my general thoughts, what came to mind for me. Um, something that comes up for me often is this quote by Maria Hornbacher that I'll read. Um, when you believe that you are not worthwhile in and of yourself in the back of your mind you also believe that life it's not worthwhile in and of itself it is only worthwhile insofar as it relates to your crusade it is a kamikaze mission and uh, mental illnesses are internal and the pain is real but it's invisible and we don't often know how to heal that pain so we embrace it by giving it a greater purpose by romanticizing it if you will and I think that this sort of romanticization of our pain is a necessary part of being ill. It's comforting, you know, like a, like sucking on a cough drop. So it's soothing, but no matter how many cough drops you suck down, you're still going to be sick. It's not going to gonna fix you. And if you have constant pain inside your mind, you you have to do something to live through it every day. You have to make that pain make sense. You have to make it worth living through. So... However your mental illness manifests, it sort of becomes a mission in itself or like a story or a romantic journey of isolation or mania or risk-taking and drugs and starvation and spending and binging and self-deprivation and an indulgence. Um, We act out our dreams of what we think we want to be and what our purpose is. So we're acting out this story um, that we think will give us most value to other people. And we might romanticize the parts of us that most need real healing, or we find the most dissatisfaction, where we feel the most helplessness. And so, but the purpose of surviving illness itself isn't a sustainable goal for its own sake. It's a—it's always going to be a self-repeating struggle. Um, like life moves on. Life is the victories we experience. It's new lessons, new tragedies, and realizing that your life is worth something, even through all this meaningless pain. Because the pain is not the meaning; the meaning is having human experiences and deepening our understanding and establishing ourself in the world. Like that is like truly romantic and fulfilling. I love the book um, *Man's Search for Meaning*. Viktor Frankl's *Man's Search for Meaning*, which he wrote reflecting on how he and his fellow um, prisoners in the Nazi concentration camps made sense of their suffering. And his philosophy was that man's deepest desire is to find meaning in his life. And if he can find that meaning, he can survive anything. And he gave meaning to the suffering as an act of transformation. So, like, mental illness might be part of our lives, but not our life's meaning. Our meaning is, it's the potential to accept the challenge. Um, to not be like an eternal tragedy, crying for help. it's our ability to grow from that suffering and to survive for my own sake. And I know that l- suffering is something I would love to deeply avoid, um, but it is inevitable in every circumstance except after death. We can't suffer after death, but we must suffer through life. And so we have a choice to learn to work with and overcome our suffering. and whatever way we can or we can embrace suffering and make that the purpose of our life make that our whole make that what gives us worth and I'm very tired of doing that I'm very tired of thinking my life is only worth something if I am suffering and if I am sad because if this is going to be my fate anyway I might as well embrace it you know I might as well romanticize those parts of me that are causing me the most pain but you know what I never end up romanticizing are the, the victories, when I choose not to engage in self-destructive behaviors, when I choose to go face what is giving me the most fear and what makes me feel like I'm going to die. those But those are the things that really are what feels like my real life, my real will. And those are the things that bring me closer to other people and to the world. Yeah, I wish I had more maybe specifics to talk about. I mean, there's a lot to talk about on this subject, but those are just my thoughts on sort of the existential purpose of romanticizing mental illness. So, um, I don't know, maybe you can make sense of some of this this nonsense I've got. All right, love you, bye.
0: Love you, Orion! Yes! <laughs> oh, I was literally taking a note in the middle of it on top of all the notes I took when I was <laughs> editing <Okay>. it.
1: <laughs> yes, as usual, I was taking notes on it, too. <laughs> Well, the
0: thing that jumps out at me right away is, like, why don't we romanticize the good things that happen? Like, the victories in our life. Yeah. That jumped out at me. I was like, whenever I write and journal mm-hmm. and make art, it's always when I'm feeling sad or angry or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's never when I'm feeling happy and when I have something to celebrate.
1: I mean, I feel like that's really common. I remember, like, hearing a interview with uh, Fiona Apple because... She's gone like several, several years in between releasing albums and you know, some people are like, We want more music from you. Why don't you you know, why did you write something? And she said, It's because everything was going good in my life. Mm. I had no pain to write about
0: and Yeah.
1: She was just like, That's what inspires
0: my music. So I mean there is meaning in suffering. Mm-hmm. He, he kept using the word meaning, and I really latched on to that, because for so much of my life, my meaning has come from my suffering. But like he said, that's exhausting. One of the notes that I took
1: that I really liked was where he said, you know, like, you, what you go through in your mental illness and things like that are part of your life, but they're not part of your life's meaning.
0: Yeah, and that's a hard pill to swallow, mm-hmm. especially when you have a mental health podcast. <laughs>
1: yes.
0: <laughs> but it's so true. It's like we put our worth in our suffering. And I really love the Maria Hornbacher quote too. Uh, first of all, mm-hmm. Maria Hornbacher is a queen. Talk <laughs> yes. about romanticizing mental illness. Like she wrote the romantic eating disorder memoir. Like kind one of? of the first ones, not the first one.
1: But what I, how I feel about that is she did not feel like she was romantic. She felt like she was, putting the hard truths out there, everybody else romanticized it. Exactly.
0: Like, it's a a really honest book, and it shows a lot of the ugly sides of eating disorders, but also it uses, like, graphic language. It doesn't hold anything back. Yeah. And a lot of people latch on to that side, like, the romantic side of that, and they completely ignore the absolutely nightmarish parts.
1: Yeah, I've always thought, like, how frustrating must it be to have written this to be like, look at this, fucking hell. No one wants to live this, and people are like... I'm going to try and use this as a blueprint and be like her. <laughs> yeah.
0: I go back and forth between wanting to share everything and then wanting mm-hmm. to, you know,
1: protect people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we digress again. I did want to say one more thing because this is something that was not said in the voicemail, but it immediately, something made me think of it. The most convincing argument against feeling like you are romanticizing, I feel like is symptom switching. What's that? that's when you put yourself in a place, you know, like you, you go to treatment and you have to give up the eating disorder. So you start doing something else destructive.
0: Oh, totally.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I've totally done that. That's where I feel, you know, like you, you can't say then, like, I just really wanted, yeah, to have this diagnosis. And I wanted to yeah, be this person where if you take it away, you immediately go to something else.
0: Well, Orion talks about, you know, romanticizing this stuff and then reaching a point where he's just realized I'm tired Mm -hmm. and this isn't going away. Like you can find meaning maybe temporarily and it can Mm -hmm. help you, but then it's it's going to repeat itself like nothing's going to change. And so I think romanticizing this stuff can be a short term coping mechanism. And I actually made a list of like when it can be beneficial to romanticize your mental illness, Mm -hmm. like artists, for instance talking about that pain and, like, quote-unquote romanticizing it can be healing and can help a lot of people, Mm -hmm. you know? On the other hand, if you're someone who is, like, really impressionable or maybe you're, like, someone who's violent, like, has violent tendencies with no outlet, like, you hear a lot in the news about these, like, mentally ill lone wolf types who go off on a rampage. Like we just had Mm -hmm. a shooting last week, the Virginia shooting at the Walmart. That was in my parents' neighborhood. Like we go there all the time. (laughs) And there's already like, there's discourses in the media every time something like this happens of like, is this romanticizing the mental illness, you know, and all that stuff. (laughs) I think definitely it can be harmful for people like that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I don't even know where I was going with
1: this. Tangent? Canada, question mark? Um, I know I have a few more things jotted down that I want to get to, but did, are are we able to get to Heather's voicemail transcribed?
0: Yes, yes.
1: Okay, let's do that first.
0: Yeah, okay. Thank you for keeping me on track. That's alright Alright, so Heather sent in a voicemail. I wasn't able to make it listenable, unfortunately, but basically, uh, she says hi, I listen to the podcast every week. Yay! Um... <laughs> So she says she's definitely romanticized mental health issues and the way that it relates to her own mental health is like a downward spiral slash circle. Uh, When I was full-fledged in my eating disorder, I felt like it was some sort of magical place, but it was not. Uh, And then she talks about romanticizing her past, whether it was the depths of her ED or the relapses. She talks about like the outcomes from romanticizing journal entries. Mm -hmm. Which I thought we could both relate to. And again, Heather, I'm sorry if I'm, like, completely messing this up. I I just took, like, what bits I could hear. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I got the sense that with these journal entries, she wanted to get back to that whimsical, magical place that's not magical Mm -hmm. at all. And going back to that place or, like, wanting to go back to that place is triggering and detrimental to her mental health currently. She mentioned, like, magical thinking. How like she knows it's not going to work, but it always seems like it's going to work. And every time just getting sucked into that magical thinking of like, maybe this time it'll be different. Yes. And I can definitely (laughs) relate to that.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) So I was looking up a journal entry I could possibly share and I, I couldn't find any, but I know that in the past I've definitely written about wanting to be sicker. But I've also written about wanting to be better. And like, in both situations, I'm completely miserable. <laughs> and oh. it's like, this never works out. Why can't you see that? Like, it's never going to yeah. turn out the way you think it's going to be. It's never going to be magical or whimsical. You're not going to necessarily get the kind of attention you want. It's just going to keep you stuck in your illness. Like, what What do you think about that?
1: So yeah leads well I I told you I had like a couple things and I really want to end on the thought that that leads into so I'll do it later okay Uh, (laughs) but I also knew that she was going to have things about romanticizing for sure because like I said I met her in some you know like internet board where especially in the early days we were all romanticizing it so that's what I was just like we were just a group of people romanticizing of course (laughs) we all did
0: how we met Mm-hmm. You know, on an eating disorder group. <laughs> yes. You know?
1: At that point, you know, I was more just like looking for my next group of people that understood. I was kind of, kind of over the romanticizing, but the the one that that we started in, I know for sure that that was the first like several years, and you know, people a lot of times I feel like would post pictures of this was, you know, my worst time. And it was, you know, like five years ago, but I feel like it was still, it was that we keep saying nostalgia and wistfulness. It was kind of that too, of just like, you know, this was like the the low point, but maybe it wasn't that bad. Maybe it was nice. (gasps) Oh my God. Yes. Even
0: with (laughs) Even with the alcohol, even though I've been sober for three years, every now and then I think, you know, maybe it wasn't as bad as I thought. Maybe I was just being a little bitch, and maybe I can have a drink.
2: Like, I still think
0: that every now and then. And with the bulimia, of course, it's even more recent, so it's even Mm -hmm. worse. We do romanticize the past, and I love that you brought back, you know, the nostalgia topic, because we talked about that a lot, too. It's like we do look through these terrible things we went through with like rose colored lens. And then we also look to the future sometimes, I think, and we can romanticize that.
1: I had zero indication that I had any sort of anxiety disorder or anything like that until literally I had a panic attack for three weeks straight.
0: Oh, shit.
1: Yeah, like I think I would sleep for two or three hours a night just out of pure exhaustion because I could not keep pacing. But that's the only reason why I'd wake up and it would just instantly be there again. And that's horrible. It's horrible. There's nothing that will make you feel less like a human than being sleep deprived. No, I've, I've never felt worse in my life. And I feel like that is one of the mental illnesses that you don't see as many people being like, I hope I get anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> I would even just love to sleep less. Yeah. But even still, sometimes I think about it and I think I forget it. And it's just kind of like, hmm. But... It was so dramatic and exciting. Like, no, it was terrible. I mean, I it was dramatic. Uh, it yes. was exciting
0: in the sense that, you know, yeah. it unleashed a bunch of events. Mm-hmm. But it, I wouldn't want to go back and do that again. No. And if I'm telling myself I would, then I, ha- I just have to remind myself that I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think if I have anything else to say. The, all these comments were so good, and it's it's just really nice to know that people feel the same way.
1: Yeah, so I, I will go through my, my last couple things on my notes. This one will be really quick, because so I want to end it hopefully a little better. You do you. This is more of a starting off thing, but you know when I was thinking of this topic in general, I remember... Um, being like a teenager, and if you're at any sort of event with people where they're like, "Say one word to describe yourself," I remember the first word that always came into my head was "forgettable." Oh my god, that's so sad. That was really setting the scene.
0: <laughs> you, forgettable because you just didn't have any like yeah, big just felt- issues.
1: I was normal. I don't cause any drama. I go under the radar. There's nothing special about me. And that's sad because that's not bad, necessarily. I didn't think it was all bad because I did... At least I don't stand out for the wrong reasons, like, because I'm super annoying. But yes, but it still was saying, like, there's nothing special about me.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I felt like that a lot. I felt like I totally blended in until, like, all the way through high school. And then I didn't start going off the rails until college and I think mm-hmm. part of that was, in a way, to set myself apart and form an identity. But, yeah. like, of course, that was all the unhealthiest ways.
1: So the, the last thing, this came about from some of the things we talked about towards the end, is I was thinking, like, today I could say that something that I still find myself tending to romanticize at times is going through um, treatment. Mm. I was thinking about it in preparation for this episode, and I do think that what I latch on to when I'm doing that is there weren't all bad things. Like I never feel like I fit in. I never feel like I've been close with a group of people. I, I still feel forgettable. And there was, you know, like this group that you are forced to get close to and people seemed to like me and find me funny. And, you know, like that was kind of like getting some of that for the first time. So That actually was a positive, but I realized today what I feel like is if that kind of pops in my head, I allow myself this quick fantasy of thinking about returning and being in that, you know, like supportive and, you know, like the social environment where people actually care about what I have to say. And I, you know, I, I just allow that for, you know, like a few minutes. And then I remember all of the bad parts and I think of, you know, like, leaving pets and having no freedom. Someone has to stand outside the bathroom when you go or unlock it for you. Tons of debt. Yeah, (laughs) I was just going to say the medical side of it. Yes. All of that then starts to invade, and that is what brings it back. Like, okay, I allowed myself this quick little thought of, wasn't this part nice? But overall, absolutely not. (laughs) That's That's honestly perfect.
0: Because Mm -hmm. I think there are parts of your mental illnesses that you should remember fondly. Like, going to treatment and, like, going through the things you did, you...
1: I feel like you, you can't discount that, you know, there there were some positives maybe or something made you feel good for a moment. Exactly. It wasn't a good reason. Yeah. It's like that still happened. <laughs> and with
0: treatment, there is a lot of accelerated intimacy because you are in this like microcosm with all these mm-hmm. people who are in a very similar situation. And so, of course, you're going to
1: bond quickly. A different podcast that I listen to, and I don't want to say which one because I'm not totally confident which one I heard it on, but um, they often like found, like, interesting medical studies and social studies and things like that that they quote. And one of them was actually a study that had detailed, like, in general, the amount of hours you have to spend with somebody before they are considered, like an acquaintance or a friend
2: yeah, or a close yeah, yeah. friend
1: and you know just the amount of hours to consider somebody a close friend when you're with someone 24/7 in treatment i was just like yeah you hit that in the first week exactly can't so, yes.
0: expect to find that in real life necessarily
1: yeah like in real life that could take a long time because you know you hang out with someone once a week for a couple hours
0: it's about managing your expectations yeah. <laughs> like life without your mental illness or at least mm-hmm. life recovering is going to be different like you're going to have a new set of challenges and you're going to change this is a great segue to the final note I had which Mm -hmm. is like things that I thought that my mental illness would do for me and ways that it actually appeared in my life because I want (laughs) to like we romanticize this stuff a lot but I do want to leave people with the reality that it's not pretty or fun and it's Mm -hmm. not going to bring you anything you know healthy so what I thought like mental illness would do for me I thought that it would make me more creative Uh, I thought it was my gateway to community uh, to being more social Um, (laughs) I thought it made me unique and all that shit and I thought it would help me cope with shitty life yeah it's like Orion was saying life can seem pointless and so I I had to put meaning in the struggle so I thought my struggle would bring me meaning Uh, Mm -hmm. what it actually ended up being it stripped me of all the energy to do anything creative, yeah. so less creativity. It isolated me from the yeah, people Yeah, I laughed who at cared.
1: that because I was yeah. just like, it does not make you
0: more social. Nope. <laughs> um, it made me, rather than making me more unique, it made me more boring, because I was so obsessed with the inner struggles. Yes. That, like, I couldn't focus on anything else it just it makes you a boring person ultimately (laughs) and then ultimately it kept me from dealing with my problems and it withheld me in life rather than propelling me forward making me more interesting or you know prettier or whatever it just Mm -hmm. kept me stuck for years and I'm still getting unstuck and so I just wanted to leave you with that like end with that because I thought it's important to remember like the reality of the situation
1: yeah, that even if you you think it's going to be all flowers and rainbows and get you everything you want, at some point you're going to realize it did the opposite. Exactly. And it's not your fault for thinking that at first.
0: <laughs> yeah, just maybe ask yourself, like, look back and try to see it from a, an objective point of view. And that can be really sobering and difficult, but ultimately helpful. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, that's it for today, I guess.
1: Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Question yeah. mark? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, I also want to say that today I have been very angry because Meatball is getting into a ton of trouble and it pisses me off that he is so damn cute.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I haven't heard him on the podcast this morning, so I'm just assuming he's off wreaking havoc
1: elsewhere. Yeah, he he was tearing around in the very beginning, but before I we started, he was just getting in so much trouble and I was just like, why are you so cute? I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't be that mad at you because I look at you (sighs) I wish I was that cute I mean Pico is so damn cute too but he's an angel so it's different (laughs) he's never going to do anything wrong
0: yeah (laughs) but that's pickles and vodka if you want to follow us on social media you can go to our instagram at pickles and vodka podcast where we post our pickle polls and behind the scene goodness
1: you can go to our twitter assuming that twitter does not implode upon itself i believe that one is just pickles vodka no no and
0: yep twitter is at pickles vodka and then on facebook we are pickles and vodka podcast and we're always having cool discussions on there so we would love to have you
1: yeah, I should look at it at some point so I can see those. <laughs> <laughs> and then
0: if you want to follow us personally, my Instagram is at Xtina jumper.
1: My Instagram is LaurenAFH, all together, but I am way more active on <laughs> my dog Pico's Instagram, which is Pico Sove, because I had a brain fart, so I spelled Suave wrong. It's P-I-C-O. I'm not going to put this at the end of every single S-A-U-V-E. episode. <laughs> But if I'm gonna to talk to people, it's on Pico. No, yeah, I'm never on my own.
0: <laughs> so at Pico S A U V E. Yeah, so follow us, and we will see everyone next week. Yes. Bye. Bye.